I want to start out this evening with our verse, with scripture. Would you open up your Bibles, please, to Colossians 4, 2 through 6. It'll be up here on the slides. Maybe? <laughs> Take your time looking it up. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Eric. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I, the Apostle Paul, am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Amen. I want to start out with three little vignettes for you, three little stories. On May 25th, 2020 was a turning point for many of us, if you remember. That was the day that George Floyd was killed by a Minneapolis police officer. And after the video of the horrifying murder was posted, the city filled with protests. There were peaceful demonstrations during the day and rioting after dark. And Christians in Minneapolis had to decide in an instant how to respond. Many of them, black and white, joined in the peaceful protests. You can see image of the, images of them kneeling in prayer, embodying their grief and their resistance while visibly engaging in fighting the supernatural. Several churches in the most vulnerable parts of the city rallied their congregations to serve. After the night was filled with riots, believers would wake up early in the morning and show up in the city streets where the most fires, the worst looting, the most destruction had taken place. They sorted through rubble, swept the streets, boarded up the windows. I have a picture of white volunteers, oh, not just white, but this was a, a church, a Methodist church in Minneapolis. Another church, Hamline, organized deliveries of much-needed food and supplies to regions of the city that had been cut off because of the riots. If you remember, this was during the height of the pandemic, and necessities like toilet paper and flour, canned goods, meat were scarce. Other churches offered their buildings as safe spaces for people to gather, pray, vent their anger to a listening ear. One church in a particularly turbulent area served as a medical station for people who'd been wounded. These believers were walking in wisdom, responding to their city, making the best use of their time. Another story. Way back in 2016, a well-known pastor was interviewed by a skeptical op-ed writer for the New York Times. Go ahead and put the slide up. The title of the article was, Am I a Christian? Pastor Timothy Ke Keller. 
Nicholas Kristof quizzed Tim Keller asking pointed questions, things like whether you have to believe in the virgin birth or the resurrection or miracles to be a Christian. He asked a question I think many of us have. If, if somebody's raised in a Muslim household or a Jewish household or a Hindu household and never hear the gospel, will they really go to hell just because they never heard? And Pastor Keller, I mean, if you read the article, he's full of beautiful, wise responses. He responded to that last question by saying that the Bible is clear that you can't be saved except by faith in Christ. He said that may seem exclusive. It may seem unfair. But he went on to say, look at this quote. The Bible is clear about two things. Salvation must be through grace and faith in Christ and that God is always fair and just in his dealings. What it doesn't directly tell us is exactly how both of those things can be true together. I don't think it's insurmountable. Just because I can't see a way doesn't prove there cannot be any such way. If we have a God big enough to deserve being called God, then we have a God big enough to reconcile both justice and love. It's a good answer, isn't it? And if you're familiar with Timothy Keller, we wouldn't, we wouldn't expect anything less than a wise, thought-out answer, but what really moved me is that he gave a view of God that was bigger than our questions. He gave the reporter a vision of an all-powerful, all-wise, all-loving God. His speech was gracious, seasoned with salt, leaving a good taste of the God that he serves. Final story. This one might make me cry. When I was a young adult, there was a marvelous woman in my church who just exuded grace and love. If you frequented City Gates Ministries in the 90s or early 2000s, if you ever were down at the bus station or the Hawks Prairie Safeway, you might know her. Her name was Kathy Talley, and she acted, talked, smelled, hugged like Christ. The cookies she handed out to every kid who came through her bakery tasted like the good news of the gospel. She had a huge smile and a big laugh. And she was constantly towing people off the streets into church or into her home. She never just witnessed to people. She knew their names. She listened to their stories. Walking downtown with her was like going to a family reunion. She gave lavishly to everyone she need, who needed her, who was in need. Like she was like, like Tabitha in the New Testament. Um, in fact, she flooded my house with so much food after Aiden was born that we didn't need to grocery shop for a week. We ended up throwing so much away. She made the most of her time and lavished grace that she had received on anyone who needed it. She represented a Christ, Christ in a way that made him look good to those around her. Now, as we're continuing our series, Christ Over All, this week, we're going to take him out in public. Last week, it was in the homes. We took a look at the household codes and saw how Christ's lordship revolutionized the family order. It was no longer the pater familias who had the ultimate authority in the home. It was Christ. Today, we're taking, talking about Christ over all of our interactions with those outside the church. And isn't it good... It's good to hear about people in the body of Christ doing things well. The Jonah Project, the churches in Minneapolis. It's, 
The Church of Christ is beautiful, isn't she? Like we are out there serving and loving and speaking. And I hear so much negative stuff about the church. It's hard to remember that there's also so much good and so much power. There are flesh and blood people sharing the gospel in ways that are compelling. And they're genuinely, we are genuinely moving the earth in the direction of the kingdom of heaven. I think I find these stories inspiring as well, especially because we have a new building. This feels like a momentous era in our, in our church. And my hope is that the Lord will expand our minds, our dreams, our visions of how we can minister in the community because of it. I want us to be brave and to walk in the spirit. Let him guide our words, our actions, and watch God draw people to himself. And hearing what the church is doing in other spaces and other times can motivate us to follow the visions that the Lord's placed in our own hearts. Sometimes, though, if we do some deep reflecting, there can be a disconnect when we hear stories of other, how other people are ministering. After the initial wonder and appreciation wear off, sometimes we're left with the question of, what about me? What's my role? Sometimes it's easy to feel less than. Maybe some of you don't feel like you, you have a clear role in the church or the body of Christ or that your gifts aren't being made use, use of. I think it'd be easy to think if there were riots in Olympia tonight, what would I do? Or if somebody were quizzing me about the particulars of the faith, how would I answer? And if I could answer, could I do it with love and graciousness, inspiring them toward the character of Christ? Or would I just have book answers, you know? But I think these are good questions as long as they drive us to prayer drive us to interaction, but we're never to judge our works against those of someone else. We're not in Minneapolis. We're not Timothy Keller. We're not even Kathy Talley. God has placed us here in Reality Church, Olympia, in 2022. The real questions are in the verse itself. Are we walking in wisdom toward outsiders? Are we making the best use of our time? Is our speech gracious, seasoned with salt? Do we know how to answer each person? Or what I found more to be true, trust that the Holy Spirit will lead us in the moment to give answers. And for many of you, the spirit inside you, when you're asking yourself these questions, is giving you a resounding yes. We have a lot of people here who, who have a sense of purpose and walk in secular spaces with, with grace and wisdom and no fear of interactions. I've seen a lot of you, and um, what I ask is that you use this time to pray for and encourage those who don't feel that way. And some of you in here might be outsiders that this passage mentions. Perhaps you're here because someone spoke of Jesus in this engaging way and you want to learn more. And you are completely welcome here. We welcome questions and we welcome doubt. I hope you get a, freedom, a glimpse of the freedom Christ offers. And I sincerely hope that you come to know him. But there's a whole spectrum of people who, for varied reasons, find it hard 
to take Christ's lordship out into the streets. Many of us will read the scripture and feel a a catch in in their souls. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because when I read these verses, if I'm honest, my first response was, oh, that is a lot to ask. This is a big ask, Lord. And you're telling us to do something without necessarily telling us how to do it. Or if you read this as a to-do list, you could start feeling some panic or some guilt, especially those of you who grew up in the church, being told that you had to, had to you know, win people for Christ in your schools. But I think there's an even more common and deeper reaction when we're talking about engaging with non-believers about our faith. You see, I've been hearing it in whispers and shouts, not just from our church, but, but from, from the church in general in the United States. There's a general feeling that a lot of us have that it's really hard to be a Christian right now. Let me show you what you mean, what I mean. I've got a, a drawing for you. I was going to draw this, but I pulled in my resources. This is drawn by my, one of my God kids, Comet who did it in like five seconds. And and the stick figure that I would have brought would have taken me 10 minutes. And this is me, sitting anxiously in my home. I'm looking out into my neighborhood and thinking about a neighbor of mine who's passionately pro-choice. You guys, she's furious about the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. She knows that I'm a Christian and that I believe life is sacred, even in the womb. And if we were to talk about it, which we have a little, it's difficult for me to even get to the part of the conversation where I say that I feel it's essential that we care for mothers, and it's essential that we support them. It's essential that we do what we can to eradicate poverty. And it's essential that we work to prevent unwanted pregnancies from even happening. But I can't get my words in because she's so angry. Have you guys had that experience too? Or I'm thinking about a man that I volunteer with. He's, he's a humanitarian at heart. And he deeply believes in equality and justice. And he's furious with a sector of Christians who are intensely pro-capitalism. He thinks we're greedy. He thinks we hate the poor. He thinks we only want to support and build up big businesses. Or, I'm thinking about sexuality and how culture's perception of sex and gender is changing so fast I can hardly keep up. I stumble over my words even talking about it. And I'm worried that if I say that I believe identity is deeper than sexuality, that identity is deeper than gender or preferences, I might be labeled as homophobic or transphobic, bigoted. You guys, I'm thinking about how when I was a kid, Christians were often judged by a character on The Simpsons. But now it seems like they're real, live, flesh and blood caricatures of us walking around all over the place. And I'm afraid of being lumped together with people who claim to follow Christ, but speak, act, and feel nothing like him. 
And this isn't just a portrait of me. Comet could draw a really good portrait of me. This is a portrait of anyone who's full of that fear. Fear of judgment, fear of misspeaking, fear of misrepresenting Christ. Some of you might even feel fear for your livelihoods. We have a lot of people who work in the public sector here. And it's easy to look around and know that we don't fit in. That's real. We are strangers in a foreign land. And the more time we spend with Christ, the more we're going to speak differently, spend our time and money differently, pursue justice differently, treat the poor differently. We are different. But it's easy to feel like our way of life is being threatened and feel like we're victims. And if you're feeling that way, the good news is that God has compassion for you. He doesn't, he doesn't, he, he, he's not going to berate you for fear. It's easy to think that the world is out to get us, that we need to hunker down and remove ourselves from the world. But this passage in Colossians shows us that we need a perspective change. Could we look at that verse again, Eric? Because in this verse, who's the outsider? Is it me? Who's the outsider? This is a real question. Yeah, those outside the church. It's so easy for us to become disoriented and get confounded that we might start to believe that the world decides who the outsiders are. But friends, if you know the creator of the universe, you are not an outsider. And if you have access through prayer to the giver of all life, you are not an outsider. If you have the spirit of the living God inside you, you are not an outsider. If you believe that the kingdom of heaven will not grow by fighting for our rights, but, down laying, but by laying down our lives, you're not an outsider, you're an insider. And you have access to the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And you know the end of the story. And I want us to look together again at a, a really familiar verse. Romans 8, starting in 31. We're going to read this whole chunk, guys. So hang with me. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who already died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Is anybody worried about food prices? Nakedness? Danger? Or the sword? Violence? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. 
We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, that is deep belonging. And when we begin to grasp that all-encompassing love and power of God, we realize we are not outsiders. We are loved. We're established, rooted, and we are unshakable, even in immense difficulty. We're not outsiders if we have a glimpse of God's vision for this world of love and justice and peace and dignity. We're in the inner circle. We're not outsiders. We're strategists. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm sick of politics. I'm sick of shootings. I'm sick of oppression. I'm sick of mental illness and depression. I'm sick of broken homes. I'm sick, but I'm not powerless. It is time for us as a church to strategically turn our eyes inward. Hang with me for a moment. Inward toward Christ and each other to learn to practice our faith, to pray for each other, to build each other up so that we can get outside and help build God's kingdom on earth. And building God's kingdom is not easy, and it's not fast, and it's not build. The kingdom of heaven is built by slow, faithful, steady work. One person at a time. Sometimes even one person at a time over years and years and years. But that is what the Lord is calling us to, and that's what he's equipping us for. And his reward is great. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm, I'm preaching this message backwards. I started with the verses 5 and 6, and now we're moving backwards to, to verse 2. And I did that because the fears... We're in verses 5 and 6, but the power is at the beginning of this passage. Would you look at it again? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm now in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Guys, we don't just stumble outside and build this kingdom of heaven. The churches in Minneapolis didn't stumble out. Timothy Keller doesn't stumble out. The Jonah Project doesn't stumble out. They go out in power, power found in steadfast, watchful prayer. No one has any, who has any impact on their community just stumbles out. They go out in power. And isn't it magnificent that the Apostle Paul, who spread the gospel all over the eastern region of the Mediterranean, to people so outside the faith they weren't even familiar with the law of Moses, who wrote, if I counted correctly, 13 books of the New Testament, the man who spoke before kings, and the emperor of Rome himself asked for prayer, that God would be the one to open doors for him, a beautiful image since he's in prison. And 
that God would help him make the gospel clear. The mystery of Christ. None of those things in verses 4 through 6 are going to happen without prayer. Without prayer, we're just trying to convert people, not spread the good news of the gospel. God is calling us to be a people of faithful, vigilant prayer, full of thanksgiving, full of awareness that God is the one who opens doors to his faithful people. As I was talking to David Shackelford about this last week, he had a lot of insight into prayer and into building each other up in prayer so that we can share the mystery of Christ in our communities. So Paul mentioned that we were going to do prayers of the people after the message. Um, David's going to come up and share, not only share some of his wisdom, but lead us in prayer together. <laughs> 